0: give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news, and give you unique insights into the industry. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 115th episode in the show called Rise of the Tomb Raider. Today's Monday, November 6th, which I'll cut out if we're getting closer, and we're going to talk to brand director Rich Briggs from Crystal Dynamics. So welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks for having me, Genesee. Happy to be on. Great.
0: So again, what First question I like to ask is, what is your news of the week? What's going on with you lately?
1: Well, right now we are gearing up for the Rise of the Tomb Raider launch, so it's a bit of a hectic time, very exciting time. We have all of our advertising hitting, you know, the game is finished, and uh, people are actually uh, playing it for reviews right now. We have, you know, games being shipped off to retailers, so... It's very exciting and, (laughs) you know, roughly uh, T-minus less than eight days now. Oh, my goodness. It's pretty hectic. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So when people are reviewing the game, people are playing the game, is this still considered a time frame where you can do any changes if you get feedback? Or if if there's anything, you know, that people tell you as far as, I guess, playability or a bug or something that they find, is that still something that you can change before launch? Or is it, like, locked in and that's it?
1: It is 100% locked in, and I, and I think that the way the industry normally works is they, they expect the review copy that they receive to be what you consider the final product. Um, otherwise, I think it might get a little difficult for people because they'd say, oh, well, I'm going to give you my feedback in advance, and then you might make changes that could negate some of the things for review. So traditionally, any feedback that we receive, and, and of course, I'm only speaking from the crystal dynamics side. If there's you know someone who's managed to crack that nut and figure out how to get advanced <laughs> feedback out of a, out of a review build, I'd be curious to hear it. But from our perspective, we, we always take that feedback from preview builds that we send out or whenever we're doing user testing or whenever you know uh, people are playing a copy that we have told them is not finished, then we have the opportunity, to fix things, you know, or tweak things, not all the time, but, but we, we can at least look at it. And, and, you know, that's how we usually approach that. Whereas once we say this is your review copy, you know, this is with the exception of, of you know, maybe some small tweaks that have happened here and there or might be coming in a patch. Um, this is what the consumer is going to play. And from our perspective, we want to make sure that is as close to final, if not the very final build of the game.
0: Gotcha. Working for a smaller game company, I know what a producer is, and you've been one on various games before. I've read about your own Visceral, Moby Games, things like that. What, what's a brand director?
1: Well, a brand director is, I think, you know, the, the, the easiest way to describe what I do is I am a steward of the brand, and I have to make sure that everything that we do is at the quality level that that a, that a franchise like Tomb Raider deserves. So it's it's a lot of marketing. Um, it's also working with the dev team. Uh, it's working with partners. It's it's working with press. So there's a lot that goes into it. But basically, anything that a that a fan or, a, or one of our players sees is something that i am usually working with someone else on because i have to make sure that it represents the brand in the best possible way so whether it's advertising or a program or our website or our packaging or the pr messaging that we do or even the merchandise that we have you know in our store any of those things if they are carrying the official tomb raider brand uh, chances are that i'm looking at it and trying to make sure that it is The best possible quality and the best possible experience for our consumers.
0: Well, you've been working on the Tomb Raider franchise for a long time. You worked on Lara Croft Go, Lara Croft Relic Run, Temple of Osiris, Tomb Raider. So, do you feel a certain personal attachment to the games? Like, are you thinking, "Geez, Lara, we should give you a vacation at this point"?
1: (laughs) Uh, I absolutely do, and and you know, my affinity for the franchise goes way back. I, you know, I I have always loved. The Tomb Raider franchise, and I played the very first one. Don't don't want to date myself too much, but um, you know, 1996, I was playing the very first Tomb Raider, and have played all of them with the exception of uh, some of the mobile and handheld ones. But all the all the console games, I have played and loved. So even before I was working at Crystal Dynamics, I've I've always felt a great attachment to Lara Croft and the Tomb Raider. So. You know she she certainly does seem to be the hardest working woman in uh, <laughs> games and, and I think just one of the one of the longest running and most recognized cultural icons in gaming and in pop culture. so she she certainly does deserve a vacation, but I, I don't get the, uh, I don't get the impression she's taken one anytime soon.:
0: No, she ages very well. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the continuation of the story in this sequel. How does this pick up when you first begin to play?
1: Rise of the Tomb Raider picks up roughly a year after the events of uh, the reboot Tomb Raider that we did from 2013, and you obviously do not have to play the first game in order to appreciate Rise of the Tomb Raider. We really wanted to make sure that it that it was a standalone adventure, but obviously for the fans who have enjoyed the first uh, the first game, um, you know they're they're going to see the progression of Lara. And what we really love is that. In the first game, Lara was a survivor. She was trapped in a situation, she, and she discovered that she had you know, the internal fortitude and the metal to get out of it and, and to survive. But now she is going on her first great tomb raiding expedition. And so in Rise of the Tomb Raider, we're really focusing on Lara, realizing that she has the skill, she has the will, she has the intelligence to do what most people can't do. And therefore, it, it's her responsibility to accept her destiny as a Tomb Raider. So this is, to me, a real turning point in Lara's career where she's she understands her destiny now and she's accepting it and she's putting herself in harm's way for what she thinks is, is the right thing to do.
0: Following up on that, these are essentially all prequels to the classic Tomb Raider game you were just referring to that we played as kids in 96. In the last game, we saw Lara kind of grow as a leader in a dire situation and what would you say the theme of this one is kind of playing on what you had just mentioned
1: absolutely i I think as you said the first game that theme was about survival and in the next you know in the next evolution of her journey in rise of the tomb raider this is about the human spirit and we really looked when we were building the game at those pioneers in history that pushed beyond boundaries for the sake of knowledge or for exploration, you know, the, you know, people that like uh, Jacques Cousteau, you know, who mm-hmm. goes to the depths of the ocean, or or someone like Edmund Hillary, you know, Tenzing Norgay, the people who who were the first to summit Mount Everest. We looked at explorers like that who risked their lives for what they considered, you know, that 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 human drive to to get to the top of a place that no one had ever been, and we tried to infuse that with our survival action flair, you know, our that lens that we look at all of Lara's adventures. So if you take that that theme of the human spirit and you apply that to Tomb Raider, then it becomes Lara pushing herself, going to these hostile environments, you know, where where most people could not survive because again, she realizes that she has a responsibility to fight against Trinity, which is the, the the organization that is racing her for the secret of immortality, because so few other people can. So it's a combination of this responsibility, Lara's growth, and the human spirit that would that would push someone to to put themselves in harm's way for what they think is right.
0: It seems like Lara's friends and uh, her adventuring pals and people like that. Debate this uh, running kind of headlong into danger as a way of coping with her memories, but also, I'm sure even people uh, back you know in Jacques Cousteau's days thought he was a little bit a little bit crazy as well. What does this mean to you that the concept of her running headlong into danger as a way of coping with her memories? Is that why you think that she's doing this, or does it have something to do with her father? There's always kind of that underlying follow in her father's footsteps thing as well.
1: Right. No, that's a great question. And, you know, we we certainly have touched upon the, you know, the following in Dad's footsteps before. um, But, you know, really astute point of you pulling out the fact that she is chasing this truth because she knows that she has glimpsed a hint of the secret of life after death. And so she has seen signs of something bigger. And to Lara, you know, she looks at this as something that could really help humanity. If if we were able to, you know, discover the secret of immortality, that could have huge ramifications on, on sickness and death. And, you know, there's a reason why it's at the center of most uh, religions, you know, in some form. So Lara looks at this and thinks to herself, you know, A, this could be really good for humanity, and B... I know that if Trinity gets their hands on this secret, it's 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 not going to be good, and so I have to get there first. So I think there's some of that. You know, that's where you come in with the responsibility and with her accepting her destiny that this is just what a tomb raider has to do. You know, you have to be that protector of history secrets, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there is definitely something of you know wanting to prove that what she saw on on the island of Yamatai in her first uh, in her first adventure actually was true. And wanting to, you know, maybe realize that that her father wasn't crazy, even though everyone thought that he was, because he was chasing the same thing. Um, and, and this is the way of her dealing with the the events that have happened to her. I mean, she's had some very traumatic things happen to <laughs> yes. her. And it's, it's made living a normal life impossible. You know, af- after what happened to her on Yamatai, the idea of going back and holding down a nine-to-five job and just, you know, you know, having a, a normal life with your friends and, and going out for a beer afterwards. That's just not Lara anymore. And so she is compelled. She's driven to to look for these secrets. And, and the, the fact of the matter is that history secrets are protected by the most hostile places on Earth. Otherwise, they wouldn't still be hidden. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it all goes together. If you've got this responsibility you've got this drive to, to to explain what happened to you if you've got this need this burning desire to find the truth if you've got this this idea that hey maybe dad wasn't crazy and i want to prove to the world that the, that that he that he actually knew what he was talking about and then finally you've got this human spirit where she does like the adventure you know i think all of that comes together in each of those play parts and why she would go on on this tomb raider expedition
0: in the original, uh, or the original Tomb Raider reboot, the 2013 one, there was a lot of care I felt put into details to make you feel, you know, th- as though you were a Lara and to have an emotional reaction to what was happening, in that kind of a uh, single-player solitary journey. In this one, playing the demo as well at the Square Enix um, lounge, I felt the same way. And I was wondering if that solitary journey aspect is part of the decision to keep this as a single-player RPG instead of making it like a multiplayer co-op, having a multiplayer co-op aspect like sometimes people do to kind of bring in more players.
1: Well, you know, first, I think there's two parts to that question. The first is that we often have our fans tell us that they don't feel like they're controlling Lara so much as they feel like they're going on an adventure with Lara. And, you know, we... We wanna we wanna foster that you know we want you to feel that same sense of wonder and awe the first time you walk into a tomb that you know it's it's deadly yes but it should it should also feel beautiful and awe inspiring and the fact that you're discovering this place that people haven't been in, in in hundreds if not thousands of years so we want you to go on this adventure with Lara and we want Lara to feel as as natural and as and as realistic as possible you know in the way that she reacts to the environment or touches a wall as she walks past or, or smooths out her hair or wrings it out after she gets out of water or the sense of wonder in her voice when she discovers a monolith. So we think all of those go hand in hand with that, that a little bit more uh, solo experience. Um, How that then pertains to multiplayer, you know, we, we took a long look at, at what our fans wanted and what we wanted to deliver and what we thought made sense from the franchise. And, you know, it, it really is about trying to deliver more of of what will let you stay in that world longer. Oh, so, okay. you know, we haven't we haven't announced a ton of of details around the season pass yet. Um, but what we have talked about are things that will extend the main story. We've talked about ways for you to make missions and then let your friends play them, but within the hub worlds that you've already explored. Um, we, you know, we've talked about extra missions, you know, these are all things that will let you keep playing in the world after the main adventure has finished.
0: Okay. Stepping back from the psychological aspects of the game for a little bit, uh, the decision to affiliate with Xbox and uh, Xbox 360 for the release of the game at first, what's behind that and, and how does that work?
1: So Microsoft has always been a great partner with us you know, ever since the reboot and and even before that. Um, So it made sense to partner with them for Rise of the Tomb Raider. And, you know, we've talked about it quite a bit in the past, so I don't think I need to go into too much details, but um, they've been a great supporter, and and what we receive on the the development and on the marketing side um, really allows us to deliver the best possible game that we can build, and that's what's most important to us.
0: I believe you worked with, and I may pronounce this wrong, Nixis, uh, who did the ports last time? Nixies. Nixies, yeah. Are you still working on that for this for this game?
1: Correct. So Nixies is handling the Xbox 360 port of the game, uh, which, is, which is a huge weight off of our shoulders because it allowed Crystal Dynamics to focus 100% on the Xbox One version um, and, and put all of our efforts into delivering the best possible version of the game, uh, taking advantage of the hardware. And then Nixie's had, you know, what I would consider the somewhat unenviable task of, you know, we kind of throw the code over the wall to them and and say, all right, now get this to work on 360. And, you know, to their credit, uh, you know, they delivered a really, really extraordinary game. Uh, We obviously have all of the the know-how from the previous adventure with Tomb Raider 2013. uh, So it's not like we were starting from scratch and, and we're all very proud of what we built with that. So, you know, it's not completely unfamiliar territory, um, but, but I will say it, it was it was not by any stretch of the imagination an easy task, and I, I'm really proud of what Nixie's accomplished. And, you know, we obviously have people that work very closely with them from Crystal, so it's not like they're flying solo. Um, but it's, I think it was a great partnership because, again, it let us focus on delivering something that absolutely took advantage of every ounce of the Xbox One hardware that we could, uh, While well knowing that we had a trusted partner uh, delivering all the same content on three hundred
0: and sixty. Awesome. I'm reading about this interesting marketing campaign called Survival Billboard uh, yes. in the UK uh, with eight fans on a billboard. Can you can you tell me more about this?
1: <laughs> uh, this is certainly one of the more unusual marketing programs that we have going on, but it but it comes from a great place, and this. You know, this starts to get back to your very first question about, you know, what does a brand director do? Um, you know, there are a couple of ways that something like this can go off the rails, but, you know. <laughs> I uh, want to see you they, pitch
0: this. Like, I want to imagine the meeting yeah, where you say, yeah, it it was, I want to put them there on was the some billboard. interesting
1: conversations around this at first, and there were <laughs> a lot of questions. But what, what I'm excited about and, you know, what I liked and what we were able to work out was that it isn't just about putting people on a billboard. You know, we actually sent people to Siberia. And they had to go through many of the things that Lara does in the game, so you know survival uh, courses and uh, archery and things that really pushed them out of their comfort zone and gave them a little bit of a of a glimpse into some of the things that Lara has to do in Rise of the Tomb Raider. So that was the first part. There was also you know there was an application process. People had to use their intellect in order to become chosen. So it's actually part of a, of a, of a, of a huge campaign um, that will result in people being up on the billboard. So I think it's fun. It's a way to call attention to some of the things that Lara has to go through in Rise of the Tomb Raider in a little bit, you know, non-traditional way.
0: Cool. You talked about Siberia. I believe Syria is another country uh, in the game as well. What other places is she going to visit that we might recognize?
1: Those are the two geographic locations that, that Lara visits, okay. uh, and and the majority of the game does take place in Siberia. But what we wanted to make sure happened was that people didn't feel like they're playing the snow game. So there's <laughs> there's a wide variety of environments within within Siberia. Um, you know, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but you'll have lush forests, you'll have caves. You know, the tombs obviously provide a very rich bed, and and in terms of uh, a variety of locales. So even though you're in two geographic locations for the game, um, you are in a wide variety of environments to make sure that you always feel like you're discovering someplace and, and traveling someplace new.
0: How does our team draw inspiration to make these places that are real are both fanciful and also recognizable? Do they try to make it so you could recognize that, or is it kind of just they want to end the world of Tomb Raider and just kind of nod to real places in, in the map?
1: It's a little bit closer to the latter, you know, we don't, you know, we're not trying to duplicate a, a, a city or anything like that, or replicate, you know, a, a specific geographic location, it is more about um, trying to make sure that it does feel like a place that would exist in that location, and, and in fact, our, you know, our, our game director did fly out to Europe, and he took a lot of reference materials that he sent back.
0: For research,
1: research yes uh, I think he actually coupled it with a uh, with a vacation I'm not sure um, but it was all, all above the board can absolutely uh, assure you that um, but it was it was great because you know that that lets the team have inspiration and draw from real world examples but you still want to be able to to build a space that is great to explore that supports all of our side missions that supports hidden tombs um, so we are we're absolutely not holding ourselves to any sort of you know uh, historic or or geographic accuracy. It's more about getting the right feeling. And Siberia was really chosen because we, we wanted to look at what is you know one of the most inhospitable places you know in the world where people do actually live still um, but but that you can go and and really get this idea of woman versus wild, which is one of our, our core pillars of the game, this idea that Lara is going to a place where the entire world is against her.
0: Well, these places are definitely beautiful, and one of the things about the game I really like is the realism. Uh, when you play it, it seems like it would lend itself to a movie. And I hear that there is a possible movie in the works with a couple female directors they're looking at.
1: There is a there is a movie in the works. Um I you know, I'm not the best person to comment on the on the female directors because I've seen, you know sometimes I even learn my news on the internet when that comes <laughs> because you don't always get there's lots of rumors going around that Tinsel Town. Let's just say that, um, but but it is very exciting, and you know we we, we do work um, with the studio, and so we, we don't have anything new to share on that just yet. But it, you know I, there absolutely is is a movie in the works, and it's it's an exciting project.
0: For those who played the classic '96 game, uh, in this in this game and in the 2013 reboot awareness is key there's traps and items you need to be positioned a certain way collect coins and treasures etc but what other things would a classic tomb raider player recognize as possibly harkening back to you know the game they played as a kid
1: well i think i think you spoke about a couple of them it, you know really for rise of the tomb raider one of the areas we really focused on was the tombs and we were very proud of the adventure that we built with Tomb Raider in 2013. And we heard the, the fans loud and clear that they wanted more tombs, they wanted more of the puzzles. And so we took a look at how we could deliver that in a way that would make fans of the original series you know, get that sense of nostalgia, that sense of awe and discovery, um, that sense of solving a puzzle, but also do it in a way that, that supported the modern reboot formula and was seen through that survival action lens Uh, that I talked about earlier. And again, I think with the tombs, you know, we, we want you to feel like these are deadly places. We want you to feel like I'm exploring a a place that is awesome, but is also really, really, I need to pay attention or it's going to kill me. And we also, when it comes to the puzzles, we, we want it to feel like it's grounded in reality. So we have what we call nested puzzles. And these are environmental puzzles where, you know, you can see the grand objective in front of you. You know, you walk into a wide open room and you know you've got to get up to this huge golden dome, but you don't know exactly how. And through the course of solving that puzzle, you're actually going to have to make traversal, you know, uh, climbing challenges. You're, you're going to have to solve environmental puzzles where physics are the star. Um, so it really turns into a bunch of little problems that all add to the big solution. So we think that that fans are really going to appreciate that because it'll still give you that sense of accomplishment, um, but it's done so in a realistic way. Uh, and, and then we also have more challenge tombs. So I think, again, in the spirit of really putting the tombs back in Tomb Raider, um, you know, the challenge tombs are bigger. They are even more devious with respect to their puzzles, uh, bringing traps back. These are all things that I think will give fans that nostalgic that you know, that nostalgic feeling that, that they've wanted. Um, and then of course there's some things that we that we put in literally because they were just fan requests. You know, we got a, a huge number of fan requests that why can't Lara swim? And so we said, Okay, <laughs> Lara can swim. <laughs> I want the Don't. secret
0: room sound. Like I love <laughs> I, I remember that so clearly. That wonderful <laughs> secret room sound when you find one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do love that sound too, but that's all I'm gonna say about it. <laughs>
0: okay. Tell me about crafting in this game.
1: Crafting is is very important in Rise of the Tomb Raider. We, you know, we always loved hunting. But again, when you look, look at when you look at a sequel, we look at what can you what can you keep that you think you did well, you know. So don't really mess with it. Uh, what can you improve, uh, you know? And then what and then what are the new ways that you survive? I'm sorry that you that you uh, excite and and uh, surprise the player. And so I think that that the crafting falls into that second area because we looked at something like hunting, which we, we thought was a fun pastime in the first adventure, but it didn't really have an impact that was material from a gameplay perspective. Mm-hmm. So now we've folded it into the economy. So hunting and you know gathering resources and exploring the world they will actually allow you to upgrade Lara in ways that will have a material impact on gameplay, and it becomes part of the core gameplay loop. Where you know the more you gather things and 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 you know uh, uh, look for for materials in the environment or hunt for rare animal pelts, um, the better equipment and weapon upgrades that you can craft, and that means that you can power Lara up even more. So it really gives you a very material reward. For doing that in the world, uh, we also improved it so that Lara can craft things on the fly. So, for example, uh, we still have the you know the, the gradual healing system when you're hurt in combat, um, but now Lara can actually use a field tourniquet to heal herself, you know, almost instantly if she's got the right crafting materials. So, that's another benefit where rather than trying to you know hope that you heal in time during combat. Boom! One stroke, and, and you're fully healed if you've got the right ingredients to to create a field bandage. Um, same token, run out of ammo? You can actually craft am you can craft arrows, including custom arrow types like a poison arrow um, or an explosive arrow in combat while you're moving around. <laughs> so again, if you've if you found the right materials and you go in prepared, um, it really can make the difference in combat.
0: One of my favorite things about the previous game was stealing Jeeps and running over the natives um, while I was escaping and backing around and trying to drive horribly around, you know, mountain roads. Are there vehicles in this? And is there ever going to be a point where, uh, you know, you have different options on vehicles?
1: We don't have vehicles in Rise of the Tomb Raider. You know, it's certainly something that we always continue to look at, you know, for the future of of the franchise and what makes sense um but for this we always want to focus on what are we doing well and you know there's a lot there's a lot of games that do vehicles really really well and i think the bar <laughs> is a lot higher uh, you know not to take away from your adventures with the uh, you know, with, <laughs> it with was the just locals. part of the revenge for the terrible <laughs> yeah. way they were treating but uh you know we we we, we, we lara's on foot for this one <laughs> okay
0: there's been some speculation that games with female protagonists don't sell as well. Um, there's even some numbers that Mary Sue is kind of throwing out, about 25% better with male leads. 40% of the marketing budget uh, tends to be, it tends to be 40% less in a marketing budget used for female protagonists. What's your take on this, considering that Laura is such a well-known, strong lead and so timeless? I can't imagine that that's an issue. What do you think about that?
1: Well, we certainly don't see it as an issue. I, I absolutely, you know, can understand the point that you're bringing up, but, you know, we actually don't really even look at Lara as a female protagonist. You know, we look at Lara as a hero and an adventurer, and we try and craft an adventure that that anyone can deal with and anyone can relate to. And I think that also goes back when you talk when you asked about the theme of the game, you know, the idea of the human spirit. That's something that we think is universal. You know, everyone somewhere inside them has that drive to be more than they are. You know, or at least I would say, you know, most people. Um, so I think that's something that's universally recognized. Um, but but obviously, Lara is you know a, a heroine. You know, she is female, and I think that really the only way that. That we let that influence us is making sure that she's presented in in the most relatable way possible, and we always try to deliver an adventure and a character that feels authentic and realistic, and someone that you could relate to.
0: Well, you put her in Siberia, so people can't say that she's <laughs> you know she's well dressed. She's got a lot of clothes on. You know, she's prepared this she, time she, around. She, yes, see
1: that's another that's another good part about Rise of the Tomb Raider. One of the benefits of making the choice to go on a very dangerous Tomb Raiding expedition is you get to pack.
0: (laughs) Really? Okay, okay. Uh, What about her friends from the previous game? Um, There's been a little kind of hints... In the demo that I played as well, but mostly like online. If you read about it, people saying that you know her friends aren't going to be joining her on this because they disagree with her decision to you know continue to seek dangerous adventures, and they would just prefer to be in perhaps a more secure location. Are you going to run into any of her friends from the previous game, or any of the people that you might recognize?
1: So we have shown that uh, that Jonah, uh, who is you know a longtime friend, and, and you know I would say at this point Lara's closest friend. Uh, he is with her on the adventure. I, I'm not going to go into too many details about what happens to him, but obviously you've seen that, you know, Lara is separated from him by the avalanche, um, but I don't want to go any further into spoiler territory. But he does start with her because, you know, Jonah, regardless of how he feels about Lara's reasons and what's driving her, he, he's not going to leave her side. You know, she she still is his little bird, as as he calls her. And so, you know, Jonah is, in this case, her most steadfast friend. Um, we, you know, we, I think probably the, the roundabout question that fans are asking is what's going on with Sam. You know, you're not <laughs> going to run into Sam in Rise of the Tomb Raider. Um, you know, obviously not required reading, but for those who follow the comics, uh, you can see that Sam right now is in a, uh, you know, I won't, I won't spoil anything for maybe those who are catching up on the comics, but she's not in the best place right now. So she's, she's certainly not in any position to be able to go on this adventure with Lara.
0: Okay. Well, I think that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else that you would like people to know before we wrap up uh, sharing information?
1: Sure. I, you know, first off, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, really fun chat. And questions. <laughs> hey. Um, I, you know, I, I'm really proud of what we have built with rise of Tomb Raider. And I think that, uh, there's a couple things that, that fans are really going to enjoy. You know, we, We start with Lara's journey. As I mentioned, this is about her accepting her destiny to become the Tomb Raider. Um, You know, Woman versus Wild for us is about Lara using her skills and her wits to go into these hostile environments and and do what she has to do to survive. Um, We we didn't talk as much about uh, guerrilla combat, but that's one of the things that we also really wanted to add is that element of player choice where you can do things in the environment like climbing trees or swimming underwater to avoid or to take down an enemy Um, really about giving you plenty of ways to, uh, to sort of thin the herd, if you will, against an enemy force that has you outgunned and outnumbered. And then finally the tombs, you know, we we really want them to feel like these deadly awe inspiring places. And um, there's, there's more of them. They're, they're bigger and better than ever before. So we think across those four things, uh, fans are going to find a lot to love, and 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 actually, we you know we've been telling people this is about a thirty-plus hour game. If you want to go the hundred percent route, so uh, there's certainly a lot of adventure to be had there when it launches on November 10th.
0: Is there a reason for the the guerrilla options? Because you can play the entire game trying not to, um, you know, to kill people. Is there a pacifistic option, or is that just as alternatives in case you don't want to just run in there shooting? <laughs>
1: There will certainly be times where combat is unavoidable. You know, you, you know, we're not trying to make the claim that you could play the whole game as a pacifist and not kill anyone. Um, but there are many more opportunities to avoid combat. And we, we wanted to give that, that option to you um, because, it, you know, we know that some of our players like to play a more stealthy approach or a more non-violent approach. Um, some of them do like to play aggressive, and that's totally fine. Uh, going in guns blazing is always an option, it just is usually going to soak up more of your resources. So what we usually find is, you know, the most successful tactic is to go the stealth route at first. And, and like I said, thin the herd a little bit, you know, use some distraction, use some, uh, you know, crafted objects in the environment. Uh, and then you can sort of pop the bubble as it were and, and, you know, and start to mow some enemies down once once you're not as outnumbered. But it, it, it really does come down to the player choice. So, we want you to feel like in that, you know, that that first phase where you see the group of enemies and you see their positions and you see what the armament they're carrying and whether or not they've got body armor and helmets, etc., that you can start to make your choices of how you're going to approach it.
0: Gotcha. Now, when this releases for PC, I think it's in early 2016. Is that going to be a Steam option or will you have to get it a, a different way?
1: Um, so, we haven't announced any other details in terms of uh, platforms, um, other than it will be on Steam and, and, and Windows 10. Okay. Uh, we'll have more details on the PC options, uh, you know, as we get closer to that launch.
0: Okay, and for Xbox, the 10th is when you can get it?
1: Absolutely, November okay. the 10th on Xbox One and Xbox 360. And Almost there. <laughs> I know,
0: it must be very exciting.
1: <laughs> it certainly is
0: and if people want to find out more uh, where should they go to to check out
1: they can go to tomb Raider.com. we have got all of our videos tons of assets great features a blog post there's tons of stuff to see and do there
0: okay well thanks so much
1: thanks genesee